Um, I'm Alex Jones. I'm director of the Shorenstein Center on the Press, Politics, and Public Policy. Uh, it's my great pleasure to have as our guest today Jake Tapper, who is the uh, White House correspondent for ABC News and has done something maybe unprecedented. Has um, anyone else won the Merriman Prize three times in a, in a row? I don't believe so. The Merriman Prize is the award given by the White House Correspondents Association for the Best White House Correspondent, and that is something that has just been announced that Jake has won now for the third consecutive time. So I would say, here, here. And I'm going to invite him to begin by telling the story he just told us about, about last year's White House Correspondents' Dinner. If you know the White House Correspondents' Dinner, it's one in which uh, you know, various tables invite celebs of various stripes to, uh, to come, and uh, it's quite a glam affair. Um, and very, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's the kind of, of party that Vanity Fair does have a party, an after party for, which I think suggests something about it. It's a Probably Uh, like, 
The Obama campaign. At there was a point, it's, it's tough to imagine, but there was a point in which people took uh, Rick Perry's candidacy seriously. And uh, the Obama campaign was watching him warily because he was going to throw their map out of whack because Rick Perry had a message for Latino voters, as did Duke Gingrich at one point. Mitt Romney is the issue that he has been most conservative on, uh, arguably the only one on that when he's standing on the, on the stage that he has been the most conservative voice on that immigration issue. Because the Latino vote is so significant in the southwestern states <clears throat> where Obama can compete. Colorado, uh, New Mexico, Nevada, possibly even Arizona. And then young people. And, and it's a big challenge for, for the Obama campaign to get young people as motivated uh, in 2012 after he's been president uh, than in 2008 when he was just a, 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 a candidate with lofty promises. <clears throat> The Romney campaign obviously wants to control uh, and contain how much of a chasm there is when it comes to women voters. And they're making a big play for independent voters. Um, and so a lot of times when you hear what silly issues might be erupting on the national stage, such as Hillary Rosen's comments, or uh, Sandra Fluck uh, from Georgetown and her um, her testimony before Congress, Rush Limbaugh attacking her. Um, Seamus the dog, uh, who uh, Mr. Romney famously put on the hood of, on the roof of his car. Um, a lot of these issues might seem silly, uh, but they are specifically focused on, and a lot of times, women voters um, or independent voters. So, for instance, I asked a, an Obama um, staffer <clears throat> one time, do you really think this Seamus the dog thing matters? Yes, he said, because, not only because there are millions of, of pet owners, but because it feeds into this narrative of Romney being a little strange and a little odd and a little, you know, a little bit from a different era. We were talking about Madden before, a little bit from a different era. And if you're a woman voter in Northern Virginia, or the suburbs of Philadelphia, or the suburbs of, or Shaker Heights, Ohio. And you're feeling like the economy, you're not crazy about President Obama, but you feel like the economy's recovering a little bit, and you're just not sure about this guy in Iran. Does Seamus the dog fit into that? Yes, in the view of this Obama uh, strategist. And you're gonna hear a lot of things like this <coughs> that seem silly, but actually, in the view of the campaigns, are significant. You're going to hear a lot about, and Mitt Romney said uh, the other day, he described President Obama as being out of touch, and the country might look, I'm paraphrasing, so this is not exact. the country might look good if all you're doing is flying around on Air Force One, surrounded by an adorned stand. Uh, but that's not the reality. I think you're going to hear a lot about that. You're going to hear a lot about uh, Obama being surrounded by sycophants and people who don't know what America is really uh, really like. You're also going to hear a lot about from the Romney people, from Boston, as we call it. Uh, you're going to hear a lot of, of talk about what Obama was saying in 2008 versus what he's saying and doing now. Um, and this is, again, part of Romney's message to the three or four million independents, or, or not necessarily independents, the three or four million voters who voted for Obama last time that he's trying to get to switch to him this time, which is, hey, 
the subliminal message, the subtext. I understand why you voted for me. I get it. But let's look at the reality. Even in Romney's announcement ceremony uh, in New Hampshire last, I think it was at the end of the summer or beginning of the fall, he said in November 2008, we did something quintessentially American. We gave this new guy a shot. We gave him a shot. That's how he's casting it, because again, he's trying to convince people who give, who gave Obama a shot that it's okay, that they don't feel so great about it, and that they're going to vote for Mitt Romney this time. Um, so that's, that's basically uh, how I view the election. One other thing that's interesting is um, the Obama team, or at least that's not getting interesting, the Obama team has sent money and staffers to Omaha, Nebraska. Why? Because uh, they did this in 2008. Nebraska is one of two states in the country that allocates electoral votes according to congressional districts. So in other words, you can win, you can have Nebraska allocate one electoral vote to Obama and four to John McCain. That's what happened last time. Nobody paid much attention to it because Obama won essentially what was an electoral landslide, but that's what happened last time. If it is a 269 to 269 electoral tie, which is much more um, possible than you probably think. Uh, that one electoral vote from Omaha, Nebraska, what they call Obama, uh, the uh, Obama campaign, could come in very handy. Um, that gives you an idea of how close they're counting on this election possibly being. Of course, they counted on it last time and they didn't need Obama, but it's a lot more likely this time. 269 to 269 is a lot more possible. All right, so that's, that's basically how I'm viewing politically, not policy, but politically, the landscape as the candidates make their pitches, and I'd love to open the floor to questions. Let me ask you a couple, and then we'll open it to the floor. Um, given that the strategy that you describe is aiming at this, you know, six million people, or however many it is, uh, the pitch to win them is a very different pitch than the one he has been than the Romney people have been uh, using to win the nomination and the base is, much of the base anyway, a significant part of the base, expects to hear. So how dangerous is it for Mitt Romney to pitch a campaign to independent voters who are presumably more centrist than the people who are already suspicious of him? Uh, are they going to stay with him anyway? Does it not matter? Is that a risk or is it really something that uh, is, is not really seriously a risk. No, I, I, think it's a, I think it's a balancing act. I think it's a balancing act more for, uh, I think it's just as much of a balancing act for President Obama as it is for Mitt Romney. It's just the Obama side of it hasn't gotten covered because he hasn't had these, these primaries. A, a good example of, of that on the Obama side is when President Obama came out and talked about uh, the Supreme Court case and how it would be an unprecedented action by the U.S. Supreme Court uh, if they overturn the health care law. I don't want to get into the weeds about unprecedented. Obviously, it, wasn't, it wouldn't truly be unprecedented, unprecedented. But in any case, even buying all the caveats that the president threw onto the statement a day later, that was a statement to his base. That was a statement to the liberals, to activists, to Democrats, upset about the conservative Supreme Court, upset about Bush v. Gore, upset about Citizens United. And it was off kilter, off message a little bit, one very prominent Democrat called me and said, what are they doing? Why would you say that? You know, you can't, that's not a message to independence. That's not a message for the voters we need to win. Um, this is somebody, a Democrat, who wants Obama to win. And you're going to have that kind of, uh, the, the, <coughs> you're going to have these messages seem a little off kilter when you're appealing to this three to six million voters versus the base. And you've seen what we've had Romney be doing entirely in the last six to nine months is only talking to the base. Um, you're going to see him etch a sketch it, as his own aide put it, Mr. Bernstrom, and uh, talk a little bit more about issues uh, like women-owned businesses. You've seen him do that a few times in Connecticut. He did it, he did it. Uh, in Delaware, uh, Mr. Susskind's home state. He did it. Going to a woman, woman, uh, woman-owned businesses and talking about this 92, I'm sure you've heard this number, 
92% of the women, 92% uh, of the people who have lost their work jobs during the Obama administration have been women. It's a, it's a figure that has been disputed the way that it's, it's I, I think PolitiFact or, or FactCheck.org, one of them rated it true but false. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, here, and here's, here's how it comes down. You can't look at a recession in terms of just the chunk, just the jobs that started being lost in January 2009. You have to look at the recession in its entirety. And the, the fact is that the jobs that women lose, the teachers' jobs, uh, jobs in retail, were the last ones in the recession to be lost, were the jobs that trend male construction, uh, some of the, so the business-oriented jobs, were lost earlier on in the recession when President Bush was still president. So it was factually correct, but uh, discordant with how an economist would actually look at a recession. In any case, I, I, yeah, I think it complicates it complicates his job, but I think President Obama also has a complication as well. And what about the the impact or lack of it of America elects? Is that something that is a you know a genuine game changer in this kind of an environment? This is the third party. Yeah. I, I, never want, I, I, I never want to belittle the potential impact of a, of a third party group. Um, well, the thing that, well, the thing that makes this different is that they're going to be on the ballot. Right, they're on the ballot, and there is, it does feel like there, there is an, an opportunity, possibly, for a third party candidate. The problem is that that third party candidate, the opening for, for him or her would be for those for those middle voters who are not, who aren't happy with President Obama but don't particularly care for Mitt Romney. And you can look at trends, but so much of American history, or just history in general, is based on individuals. And I just don't see the individual to jump in and capitalize on that trend. It's not that I don't think there's the potential for something like that to happen. I just think, who's it gonna be, Buddy Romer? I mean, I don't, I just, I don't see somebody who can do it? Who can, who uh, a voter who leans Obama or a voter who leans Romney is going to say, yeah, I think it's worth it to me. You know, if John Anderson couldn't do it and Ross Perot couldn't do it, I don't know why. You don't think a Rick Santorum or a Duke Gingrich would take it? Well, that's not appealing to the center. That's appealing, I don't know what Gingrich suggested, but uh, the, the Rick Santorum. <laughs> but I mean, but I mean, whoever, I mean, it's open to whoever could be elected, as I understand it, on by an online vote. I believe that they have to, the, the it has to be a ticket that's made up of one Democrat and one Republican. Right. You find me a Democrat that's going to run with Rick, Rick Santorum. I mean, I, I, or or vice versa. I mean, find me a Rick Santorum that's going to run with a Democrat. I, I I have no doubt there's one out there somewhere. I just don't. I just don't. <laughs> no, I, I I think that that would be not the real problem. The problem would be would Rick Santorum or Newt Gingrich cut his throat with the Republican Party in order to be on the ticket and run as a third party. And and and. and and Ron Paul wouldn't do it either, and all, all three of them would, would not do it for three different reasons. Newt Gingrich won't do it because he still wants to stay in Washington, have influence, make money, and be an idea man for the Republican Party. Rick Santorum won't do it because now he's the next guy in line. And the Republicans like to nominate the next guy in line, and Rick Santorum has earned that position. And if Mitt Romney loses, then the Tea Party movement and the conservatives are going to say, we keep telling you this is what happens when you nominate a moderate, now we need to double down, and the Tea Party is going to look like a weak Tea Party, and you're going to have a you know even bigger push from conservatives. And in 2016, somebody like Rick Santorum will be primed and ready. And Ron Paul won't do it um, because he wants his son Rand Paul to run for president someday as a Republican, and he's not going to mess up the. I mean, it's one of the, it's one of the reasons that there's been this weird relationship between the Paul and Romney campaigns. Um, because he, he loves his son, and he wants his son, Rand, to be the Republican nominee someday. So I, I don't see any, any of those guys doing that, uh, any of those candidates doing that. Um, and again, I, I don't dismiss the possibility of a third party uh, <coughs> candidate. I, the first book I ever wrote was about Jesse Ventura, but right after he won, and I, I think that there is huge, I, I spoke here after the 2000 election about independent voters, when you had the, the Shorenstein Center, the Kennedy Center, and post-election review. I think third-party candidates are important, not just because they swing elections as happened with Ralph Nader in Florida in 2000, but because um, 
the two-party system in a lot of people, in a lot of views, and there were compelling arguments about it being, you know, fairly corrupt. Um, I don't see the person who can do it. One, That's my problem with the theory. One final question before we open it up. Who do you think Romney's vice president is going to be? A conservative, somebody who the conservative base loves. If she exists, a woman, but not necessarily. Um, you know, I, I, I hear a lot of names being bandied about, and at this point, you know, I think uh, Beth Myers, um, who's heading up the short search committee, is, is probably just making a list of probably 30 names on it. I would be surprised if New Hampshire Senator Kelly Ayotte was not one of the five finalists. I think she's a real player and a real comer. She's impressive. Um, I would be surprised if Susanna Martinez, the New Mexico governor, was not on the top ten. But I don't know. I, I, I don't. I, I haven't quite yet figured out how the Romney campaign, how Mitt Romney thinks about these things. I mean, Barack Obama telegraphs a lot. You know what he's going to do. He, he, generally speaking, there, he's, he's, he's not hard to predict. It wasn't that crazy when you found out the finalists were Tim Kaine, Evan Bayh, and Joe Biden. It wasn't that difficult to figure out. Okay, it's going to be Joe Biden because, I mean, just based on, he, he tends to do what he suggests he's going to do, what he thinks he's going to do. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I know Romney, you know, is a businessman and he's a problem solver and he works with problems. And here's a problem: we need to win women voters and we need to bring conservatives to the ball. The ball's okay. Let's find a conservative woman, but let's make sure she's better than the last time we tried that, or more successful. But in any case, I mean, so I, I, I don't quite, I don't quite know. I mean, I've heard Rob Portman's name. The um, Senator from Ohio, former Bush budget director, Dara Palama, she pointed out, uh, uh, and uh, to go into Burma. Uh, and and uh, I would be a bad alum if I didn't sit there and admit that. Um, and, uh, but I don't know if uh, the Romney people want to put a Bush budget director on the ballot, which is also the problem with Mitch Daniels from Indiana. So I don't know. Um, you know by the same token, let me just say, when Dick Cheney was announced, or when he announced himself, or whatever happened. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was I was of the school that had a what reaction to it? Like, what does he what does he get you? He doesn't. At the end of the day, it was a it was a you know politically uh, in terms of winning, it was a, it was a, it was a fine pick. So maybe Bush's budget director doesn't have the taint that I think it would. Let me uh, invite students who are present to uh, to take the first crack at questions. Yes. Hi, um, I'm Sandrine. I'm a Miss Korea MPA student here. Also, previously a journalist. How did two-part or three-part question? Uh, first, you said Obama is going to win this women vote. What do you think about the class that Hillary um, Rosen generated on CNN? And do you think Republicans are better at controlling the narrative? Uh, my second question is, if you were an Obama advisor, what, what trends would you ask him to run on? I mean, what, what, what issues? And truly, how is life as a White House correspondent? It's a dream job. Uh, what, what um, okay, those are three very different questions. The first one was about, are Republicans better at controlling the uh, No, I, I don't think so. I think they might be more disciplined, but uh, Hillary Rosen... Um, I'm sure everybody's familiar with yeah. this. Okay, so Hillary Rosen made her comments, and it was, uh, you know, they were they were poorly chosen words at the very least, and it, it's not unusual for that attitude that seems to be the one that Hillary Rosen was requesting, although she said it's not what she meant, is one that has emerged before. Teresa Hines Carey said it about Laura Bush in 2004. I don't think she's ever had a job as an adult. Uh, Hillary Clinton was a baking cookie, but I could have stayed home with baking cookies. It's one that comes out every now and then. Um, and it was it happened to come at a moment that Ann Romney was um, playing more of a role on the campaign, specifically uh, to appeal to women voters. Um, you know, I, I think the story is that specific story has pretty much gone away, but the fight for women voters is the reason why it was such a story, because of because of that struggle and because women voters are so huge. And that's that's one of the reasons why 
such a deal was made out of it because it wasn't just about Hillary Rosen making uh, an errant comment on CNN. It was about women voters and people trying to get the edge of women voters and a Democratic, and, and you know, she does not work for the Obama campaign. She does not work for the Democratic National Committee. Um, she does not work for the White House. But Hillary Rosen is a big player in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, she's been to the White House in 26 times. She went to the state dinner for Prime Minister Cameron. So when Jay Carney uh, claims that, you know, there are three Hillary Rosens I know. I'm not sure which one's on the White House visitor's blog. <laughs> that was ridiculous. We all know Hillary Rosen. She's, she's somebody that we all see at events, whether you're a reporter or, or a reporter. So that was very disingenuous, I think. And I know a lot of Rosens, and I only know Hillary Rosen. <laughs> um, so I don't think that they're better controlling the narrative. I think it just that was just tailor-made for, for a news cycle that was looking for it. A lot of times these stories also depend on what else is going on in the news. Like somebody might say something, and it just happens uh, that it's the same day that three other big stories are erupting, and therefore it doesn't get as much attention. I think President Obama, when he had his comments to um, Russian President Medvedev, at the hot mic comments uh, in Seoul, South Korea, a lot was going on at that point with the Trayvon Martin case. And so I don't think as big a deal was made of that as, for instance, the Etchison comment. Um, I think it just, it, it just has to do with a whole bunch of variables. Uh, second question, I'm, I'm not a political advisor, so I, I'm not going to answer the question. Just cause I, I mean, I don't. It's not my. It's not my gift, and uh, I'm not here to report on, on what they do. I'm not not advise them either either side of them. Get more votes than the other guy. That would be. <laughs> that would be. A, but, yeah, but what about Obama's strength? His strength right now is likability. Um, he has he has a, a remarkably higher likability uh, rating, uh, and he, and his strengths are understands the problems of people like like you in polling. People think that he, he gets them and he understands their struggles uh, more so than Mitt Romney. Those are those are big factors for him. And one of the reasons that that Democrat called me upset about the president um, apparently you know, seeming to lecture the Supreme Court was he thought that that undercut President Obama's likability. He came across as shrill. He came across as not uh, a uniter, and he worried about that. <clears throat> um, so I, I mean, you know, obviously. Playing up your strengths is, and, and shoring up your weaknesses are important for any candidate. Mitt Romney needs to shore up his likability and, and uh, play up his, you know, people will have more confidence in him with the economy and with the deficit, and he needs to build on that. Uh, and then the third question is that it's a great job being the White House correspondent. It's incredibly demanding, it's incredibly challenging. <clears throat> and you're on all the time, 24 7. Um, there's never a vacation, because even if you're on vacation, you're not. You're on the Blackberry. So, um, I have a really great wife and, uh, who is very understanding and knows that I'm not going to be the White House correspondent forever. And uh, she's taken on a lot of responsibility for, for child rearing uh, while I'm the White House correspondent because it is so demanding. So I couldn't do it without her. Um, and, uh, but it's great. I'm, I mean, I'm not complaining about it. It's, it's an amazing job. It's one I've worked for a decade to get to do. So uh, I love it. Other students? Okay, let me just open the floor. Yes. Tougher 
to, to, to run for re-election than for, uh, in terms of, I, that's not true. Incumbents generally win. But it can be tougher uh, when you, to compare your promises to your rights. And a lot of liberals, I feel, and progressives are dispirited. A lot of young people feel, okay, I voted for you and I still don't have a job. Thanks for the health care, but, you know, I, you know, I'm almost 26. And, uh, you know, it's going to be potentially a problem. But this is by the same token, you know, people still lean to the left. Um, it's going to be interesting. The pres I think, you know, I think a lot of us in Washington, one of the biggest kabukis going on, one of the biggest charades in Washington right now is President Obama's position on same-sex marriage. First, he was against it. Then he was evolving. Now, when you ask about it, I don't have any news for you on that subject. But he's not evolving anymore. He's evolved. He just doesn't have any news for us on that subject. That's the answer. And I don't want to. I don't know if that's necessarily cynical. I think it's just pragmatic to think. Okay, so he is now in favor of things like marriage, and he's just waiting until after the election to enact it. Um, I wonder uh, if he can afford to wait until after the election. Because I think that's an important issue for young voters. Um, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question, and they they are worried about that. Absolutely. Yes, over here. Yeah, I'm curious about um, the rise in power of the Tea Party within the Republican Party, and I was wondering if you thought Republican voters might have voted for a more Tea Party-oriented person if the candidates that came forward weren't so loony. And secondly, what would it mean if Stalwarts like Aaron Hatch and Richard Luger were to lose their primary party candidate. What would it mean to the Republican Party? Um, I think that the Tea Party movement uh, can be, it obviously was a very powerful force in 2010. I think it's not just the conservative, I think it's not just the Tea Party that feels that Washington, I mean, it's, according to polls, a lot of Americans, many Americans, I'd have to look at the most recent polls to figure out if it was a majority of morality, but the government is too big and there's too much of it. Um, so I think they tapped into something. Midterm elections tend to be uh, turnout elections. Whoever gets their voters to the polls wins. And, and the Tea Party was motivated and they got their voters to the polls. Um, I'm not, I, yeah, I'd have to know which candidate you're talking about specifically when you say Looney. Uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously, some of the candidates that the, that were part of the Tea Party movement were did did not win because they were perceived as out of the mainstream, and that specifically with the re-election of Harry Reid and the re-election of Senator Bennett from Colorado, that was probably the reason why those two seats. Uh, were not taken by the Republicans because the candidates, the Tea Party candidates, were ultimately decided by the voters to not be uh, in the mainstream enough. What was the second part of your question? What I meant about candidates are the ones who actually came forward and ran presidential yeah. candidates. They didn't seem to be the kind of people that would attract a widespread um, support. But they weren't oh, the presidential people, candidates. Like Romney did, but they weren't te real Tea Party. Right. They were, he wasn't a real Tea Party person. The right. second question has to do with Warren Hatch and Richard Oh, yeah. Right. Look, I mean, this happens in American politics where, well, first of all, Utah has an interesting primary system in that it's not, it's, it's, it's a convention, right? That's how Senator Bennett uh, from, from Utah lost his seat to a Tea Party candidate is that it wasn't, it wasn't a, a primary election, it was a convention election. And that's Warren Hatch's, that's the problem Warren Hatch faces. But look, this happens to incumbents who, who uh, go to Washington and spend 30 years there, ultimately, uh, whether it's some, a challenger from within their party or from outside their party, comes and says, this person spent too much time there and they've lost their way. Um, and Luger, you know, Luger doesn't even, uh, he's had residence questions about whether or not he actually even still lives in Indiana. Um, that's a big problem for him, in addition to being perceived as being one of the more moderate senators, which is, you know, seldom, being, a, being moderate never, almost never helps you in a primary, whether it's being a moderate Democrat in, uh, in, in uh, Connecticut or being a moderate Republican in, in Indiana. It just doesn't, because the base turns out.
Um, Michelle Bachman won the Iowa straw poll uh, and was, I think, a Republican frontrunner at one point, according to polls. Uh, and Herman Cain was a Republican frontrunner, according to polls. The voters decide who goes into that room uh, on that stage. Uh, it's not for me to decide who <laughs> is appropriate for the voters and who's not appropriate for the voters. It's for me to challenge them when they get on that stage or they come on a TV show that I'm substitute anchoring. Um, people think that about Democrats, too. They think, how on earth is uh, Dennis Kucinich allowed on that stage? Uh, people on the right and on the left think that about Dennis Kucinich or, or other candidates on the Democratic Party. I should say my brother, who went to Harvard Divinity School, uh, voted for Dennis So, you know, I, I'm not one to point fingers. Um, people who are, who are not, who don't comport with mainstream views um, often find themselves supported and then unsupported. I mean, Kermit Kane was the front runner and then he wasn't. And the same with Michelle Bachman. Well, the Republican Party has some, uh, have a tough time making its mind up this time. <laughs> yeah, Bob. Can Obama turn the narrative of unfulfilled expectations against the Democrats because they made it very clear that their job, and one job, was to one thing? Oh, you're talking about Republicans, yeah. Mitch McConnell said his, his number one job was to defeat President Obama. Um, I think I think the way that President Obama has been trying to do that is by talking about how intransigent Republicans have been. But in terms of unfulfilled promises, you're going to have to go back to candidate Obama and take issue with the promises he made. Because I was covering the campaign, and there were some pretty big promises that he made about the shores rolling back and the seas parting, and maybe he didn't say the seas parting, but he did make he did make some pretty lofty promises. People say things in campaigns to win. Jerry Seinfeld used to have this routine about Saturday night Jerry's Sunday morning Jerry's. Saturday night Jerry's having a good time because Sunday morning Jerry's the one that's going to have to deal with the hangover. It was funnier than that. But, uh, <laughs> but a lot of times candidates have that issue as well. And you know, it sounds great to say you're going to close Guantanamo. And you know, and Senator McCain agrees. So this is even an issue. And then all of a sudden you have to deal with the fact that nobody wants those prisoners in their home state. Um, so, uh, in terms of uh, senators and congressmen, not obviously Thompson of Illinois wanted this question. Um, you're going to hear a lot about the promises he made in 2008. Mitt Romney's going to make sure you hear about those promises. Uh, in terms of whether or not it's fair to hold somebody up to the promises they make, I think it is. Okay. Hey, Jake, Mika Sifri. Oh, hey, how you doing? Jesse Ventura. I don't think we've never, we've never, never had, had we've talked on the phone. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to ask you a question about the frame you were starting with. Uh, sorry, I missed the very beginning, but what I, the gist of what I got was the race comes down to the battle for a couple million of independents. Um, and I just wanted to understand why you, uh, so many people assume that's the sole path to victory. The last two presidential elections, we've actually seen the opposite. Karl Rove did in 2004, took the base strategy, expanded the evangelical vote, and got more votes in 2004 for his candidate than he did in 2000. When, right? he, didn't, when he didn't actually When win. he didn't actually get more votes. <laughs> right. um, he got the right number of votes in the Supreme Court. We all know. all that matters. Yeah. Uh, and then in 2008, Obama drastically expanded the base on the Democratic side, young voters, black voters, Hispanic voters. Obviously, they stayed home in 2010. Right. But why this assumption that we keep hearing again and again that the only path, seems to me that is one clear path. No, I didn't. I, just, just I'm just curious, because it would suggest that, and I, I suspect that some days, Saturday night, Obama is running to the left because somebody's whispering in his ear about expanding the base again, and right. that, that's convincing. And then on other days, it's you got to get the independent voters in Ohio. But, you know, could you talk to us a bit? I mean, why couldn't Obama run... Uh, you know, as a more, you know, Harry Truman, give him hell kind of populist. Well, he, he is. I mean, you know, I, just because you, just to reiterate, I wasn't saying that was the only path. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the, and the 
three or six million in the in the middle uh, are not necessarily all independent voters. They may be Democrats, they may be Republicans, they may be independents. There's six million people who who the, was the difference basically between McCain and Obama. And I was saying Mitt Romney wants to go in there and convince enough of them who voted for Obama last time to flip their vote, to change their vote. That's Romney's strategy. That's Romney's strategy. Okay. And Romney and and, and and to and to appeal to those independent voters and the voters and and I'm using independent not as a party label, but people who you know who, who are. Uh, I guess they're called in the political terms, they're called persuadables. It's really what they're called. Persuadable voters, people who can be persuaded to vote for a Democrat one election or Republican the next election in the suburbs of Ohio, Philadelphia, et cetera. Um, no, I, I think Obama is not necessarily running that campaign. I think he's, he's going after women voters, Latinos, and young people and seeking to expand the Democratic base. Although I think you're right, he has different people whispering in his ear different days. And some days he's the conciliator who is trying to appeal to independent voters, and other days, He's the feisty Harry Truman talking about the Buffett rule, um, which is actually not. I mean, that's a very that's a very popular piece of it's a very popular principle, the Buffett rule. Uh, I'm sure everybody in this room knows what it is, but it, but it, it's not actually, um, and it's not a message for independent voters, it, because it's not because the independent voters care about jobs, and President Obama is running on tax fairness, and. Those are just two different facts. Tax fairness is a base issue. Um, even though beyond people beyond the base care about it, it's, it's a base issue getting people to the polls. Mm -hmm. But no, there are lots of different possible paths. Mm -hmm. um, I don't disagree with that at all. John. I'm good to see you. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, if the Affordable Care Act gets overturned by the Supreme Court, which is a two-part question, does that deal a significant uh, body blow to the president? recognizing it's almost five months uh, uh, afterwards before we have the election. The second question is a lot of people care about the Supreme Court, and even assuming the president uh, is re-elected, the only justice that looks likely to go is Ruth Ginsburg, who, you know, she's trying to stay on so they can appoint her. Is there any possibility of getting rid of anyone else in this? <laughs> <laughs> Not her, I mean, like herself. So is there any possibility of reducing the... That one of the justices will step down. <laughs> if Kennedy starts down, we're getting a Republican group. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, Robertson and Thomas are there forever. No, I think, I think the, the, the four conservatives are look like they're not going anywhere for a while. What about Kennedy? I don't see any suggestion that he, that he, so he to like the attention, quite honestly. Nothing's going to change in Obama's second term, assuming no, I, I, I assume, Ginsburg will retire. I assume Ruth Bader Ginsburg will retire just because she's old and she's, right. she's had health problems. And I assume that, uh, I mean, you never you never know. I mean, I would never have guessed that, that, um, that Souter was going to retire. I mean, it's, that just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, in terms of your the first part of your question, it's, it's great being asked that in Massachusetts. Because I think if Mitt Romney were not the nominee for the Republican Party, which he presumptively will be, I think the Supreme Court case, assuming that they rule against us, um, would be a huge issue. You know, this activist president, you know, jammed this through Congress. Uh, even with Massachusetts registering its uh, discontent and, you know, electing Scott Brown, found a way around the Senate rules and forced this health care bill. But the nominee, again, presumptively, the presumptive nom nominee, you know, supported an individual mandate that affects probably a lot of people in this room. So I don't know, I don't know how, what the political effect will be. I think it is theoretically a base rallying cry for President Obama and the Democrats. Um, and I know that Repealing it is a big rallying cry for Republicans. So if the Supreme Court repeals it, and you have this flawed messenger of on quote unquote Obamacare to begin with, I don't I don't see how it helps run. It removes an issue from the table that conservatives love. I don't want to say, by the way, this is not to suggest that President Obama in any way wants the Supreme Court to overturn this bill. But I just politically think it's more problematic for Romney than Obama. I, I, I'm 
as of right now, I'm, I'm willing to be convinced of otherwise, but, but that's what it seems like on face value to me. By the way, I don't know how they're going to rule. I talked to a prominent, um, and obviously none of us know how they're going to rule, but I, I talked to a prominent uh, lawyer in uh, D.C., and he's a Democrat, so he was, I think, looking to make this argument, but he has this theory that Kennedy kicked, this, and this is just all party nonsense speculation, so <laughs> don't think it, it's anything more than that. He had this theory that Kennedy you know, cares very much about his legacy and is worried about how he's going to be regarded um, after Bush v. Gore and after Citizens United, and that if Kennedy is showing an inclination, again, this is so nice, just indulge me, but if Kennedy is showing an, showing an inclination to uphold uh, health care, that Roberts, uh, who also cares about his reputation, um, is inclined to join him, so it's not another 5-4 decision, so it's a 6-3, and, uh, and, and he is not criticized again for leading this another controversial 5-4 decision in which he is leading the conservative. He's actually with the majority in 6-3. Pure speculation, but that's just, and probably wishful thinking. I don't think this. This is not, I actually think they're going to overturn it, but, but, but uh, that's one lawyer's theory. Ron, and then we'll, we'll get you all. Yes. It seems like the only uh, folks with approval ratings below Congress right now are these Wall Street. And what about media? Uh, We're right above They're child molesters. Right. Um, I guess what I wonder about it's going to be a close election. We'll get into speed set. And people are going to be looking for our further surprise and game changes of the dynamic uh, movements of this thing. Uh, I guess I wonder why or if you think either one of the parties might attempt a take on Wall Street thing. I mean, they're not any more popular on Main Street among many Republicans. Certainly Republican CEOs are not Wall Street. They don't want Wall Street either. I mean, for Romney, it could, uh, obviously for Obama, it's right there, but they're judging the base. They're not actually just using any independent bullshit. For Romney, it's a classic answer to China say, well, I'm in favor of markets working. This one, certainly the financial system, isn't working. Uh, it clearly, even one of the, I don't know if you read Thales' piece, was pretty good in the Atlantic. You know, one of the White House guys says at the end that we weren't tough enough on Wall Street. And neither was Bush. It was a key determinant in both the 08 election and the 2010 election. It may well be for 2012. Do you think that that could be a, a right fruit for either one of the uh, I, I, I think it's very unlikely you'll have Mitt Romney take on Wall Street. I, I, I just think that it's one of these things that um, if you look at Mr. Romney as a, as a businessman, as a problem solver, whose views on some social issues have been fungible, uh, that this is one that he actually has personal principles. Belief, he believes in the market. I actually always thought that one of the reasons that Ron Paul never really took Mitt Romney on is because he's like a character from Ayn Rand, Mitt Romney. I mean, he is a pure free market guy who goes in, cleans out the waste, fires people. I mean, that's what he did at Maine Capital. That's, that's pure capitalism. Um, so I don't think, I, I mean, I just think he, he just doesn't think it's good, doesn't think it's good for the economy, and he wouldn't do it. President Obama, for whatever reason, he's decided that his corporate bogeyman is big oil. And that's who he goes after. Um, he's doing it again today, talking about he wants Congress to act on making sure that the oil industry isn't price fixing. Um, I'm not really quite sure why they decided to do I don't disagree with you. I think it's possible that, you know, should we come to October and there are the base problems that we talked about earlier that you'll probably hear more Wall Street rhetoric. But I think, generally speaking, his message on Wall Street is we enacted regulations to make sure Wall Street plays by the rules. You and I know that it's a little bit more complicated than that. Everybody here knows it's a little bit more complicated than that, uh, both in terms of uh, um, creating too big to fail as, a, as a, in any case. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's possible that, you know, if they're having base problems, but I don't I don't see that as an issue. They just haven't, they just have decided that they're, they're boogeyman as oil. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, yes. I'm really 
October Surprise is from a different era. October Surprise is from when there were three nightly newscasts and two newspapers, and we have an October Surprise every 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just, I just think it's, it's, how can you even, I had this, this is just a silly story, but I had, I was covering the government services administration scandal yesterday for World News. And it turned, and I got a tip that if I look, Jeff Neely is the, um, the guy who took the fifth yesterday, yeah. the fifth. and uh, he, 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 uh, he's at the center of the scandal. Um, if he's lucky, he'll only lose his job. And somebody gave me a tip that, hey, check out his Google Plus photo page. Yeah. And I went to his wife's Google Plus photo page, and there were a bunch of photographs of him and his wife enjoying the hotel in question at one of the eight scouting trips uh, that they took before they held this conference at that same hotel. One of them, one of the pictures, Jeff Neely, with two glasses of wine sitting in a spa tub with his shirt off and the, you know, then the Vegas strip behind them. And I'm like, oh, great. This is, this is, you know, this is a fun little item for this story, this PSA story. And I'll just, you know, just wait until world news. No, I got a tip from the person who told me about those photographs to begin with. Don't hold it into a wilderness. You can't hold anything anymore. You just can't. So I don't know that I don't know that I believe in October surprises. In terms of, um, uh, and I'm not holding that up as any great big scoop, by the way. I was just <laughs> on the record on that. It was just a fun little element for a story. Um, in terms of the religious issue, look, as a journalist who is in this business because I love learning, and I love learning about things that nobody's explaining to me, and that's why I ultimately became a journalist. It's probably why a lot of people become journalists. Um, I want to know more about the Church of Latter-day Saints, uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I don't know enough about it. I, I, uh, I, I, I generally think that it's new, and therefore it's interesting, and I don't, I'm not somebody who views religion is a bad thing, and, and uh, I, I, I'm not somebody, I mean, I don't think, first of all, that if you are a Christian and you think Mormons are not Christians, that that means you're prejudiced. I think it means that you have a theological difference. I don't think that Jews who look at Jews for Jesus as not Jews are prejudiced. I think that they you can't believe what we believe and then also believe all this other stuff. That's how Christians look at Mormonism. Uh, I saw today that there is now this effort by the Romney campaign that whenever the Obama campaign talks about Romney having a penchant for secrecy, they're trying to turn that into Obama's being anti-Mormon. <laughs> Did anybody else see that? I found that a little bit of a stretch. Um, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking Mitt Romney about his faith. He obviously was a religious leader in Massachusetts, and it informs who he is. And I, I don't. I think there's something wrong with saying <clears throat> you're part of a weird religion, and I don't trust you. But I don't think there's anything wrong with asking about it. I think it's a question of how much the media is going to let the Romney campaign and the Republican Party scare them uh, away from asking about it. Well, he gave, he gave a speech about this in 2008. He gave a speech about it. Um, it was not, uh, obviously, the same as Kennedy's speech to the, to the um, clergy in, in Texas. But he did give a speech about it. Um, and I think that the Romney campaign would like that to be the, be the end of it. Uh, I think that it's possible that some evangelicals will not vote for Romney at the end of the day. But I think ultimately their dislike of Barack Obama will win the day. But will the press press him on the religion issue? I will. I mean, I don't. You know, I can't speak for everybody. When John Huntsman came on this week last August, I asked him. I, I mean, I had one question, which was: in 1978, your church changed your, its mind about African Americans. Uh, what was that like to go through? 
Because that's the thing is, I mean, the church was officially racist until 1978. Um, and, you know, I think John Huntsman at the time was 18, I think Mitt Romney at the time was something like 30 or 31. I think it's an entirely relevant question. Would it be fair to say to Mitt Romney, which side were you on in this debate? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, when George Romney ran for president, he had to assure people, George Romney's civil rights supporter, he had to assure people that he would not subscribe to the teachings of his church That's in 1968 um, because uh, he did not, because, as, as, you know, when he was if he, as president. And he certainly didn't um, govern that way as governor. Do you think the Obama campaign will raise these issues? No, no I think you'll see third party groups and mm. people, mm. other people, I don't think. They want to get into a, a question about that. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll probably even hear Barack Obama officially say, I respect his religion, he's a religious leader, he believes in God, it's good enough for me. I think you'll hear that from them officially, but of course they want to talk about this. Again. You had a question, yes. Um, so there's a lot of political science research that suggests that even any of the people in the middle are the least political sophisticated, care, and know the least about political um, policy preferences and things of that nature. And that for a lot of Nothing Barack Obama loves more than running for office and winning. That is his number one thing. He loves it. He can't wait to get out there. So, I mean, it's the it's the come let us reason together. That's the part that's that's an affectation. That that's the part that's not who he is. I mean, he, he is to a degree like that. He was at when he was here at, at, at the Harvard Law Review. He does like solving problems, but he does not like it in Washington. Um, is he personally likable? I mean, I don't, you know, yes, sure. I, I, I you know, I, I don't, we don't socialize. I mean, you know, I, I, I cover him and I'm kind of a pain in his ass. So I don't think that, that he, pardon my language, but so I don't think that he, uh, you know, he's not going to invite me over to play basketball as he has done with other journalists. Um, and that's okay because I have a bad back. But um, the the uh, yeah, I think he's he's likable. I mean, he's like a you know he's like a cool, probably likable enough. He's like a you know kind of a cool professor. But he's got a huge ego. I mean, they all do. I mean, you have to. I mean, it's it's one of the great ironies that you have to have an almost dis, um, disturbingly enormous ego for that job. You have to think that you should run the free world. Yes, I should be in charge of the free world. It should be me. No one else. Me. No one else should have it, and I should spend hundreds of millions of dollars to get of other people's money to get that job, to defeat Hillary Clinton, to defeat John McCain. It should be me. You gotta have a pretty big ego for that. I mean, believe me, I'm not saying that Romney doesn't. He does get it. They all do. So they're 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 not normal, they're not like people in this room. Last <laughs> Last question, Christian. All, I mean, all of them. You know, yeah. not just Obama. No. No, never happened. Doesn't do anything. What does it do for him? Makes him look disloyal, makes him look mean. People like Joe Biden. You know? I mean, he's a little cookie, but, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's you know, Joe Biden is popular with Democrats. He's, he's, uh, he's somebody that the Obama campaign uses all the time. To, to send to areas where there are a lot of Catholic and, and blue collar working class voters all the time. Uh, and uh, it just doesn't get, what does it get him? He's a big dog. He's got a touch of the Blarney, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, I, but seriously, what, nobody has ever made the argument to me, like, what does it get you? You put Hillary on the ticket and what? And what happens? She's already in the administration. If you like Hillary, 
You're going to vote for Obama. No, she's leaving after this term. And she might, she says she won't, or she has no interest in it, but it's always possible that she'll run for president in 2016. I'm sorry to say we're out of time. I got to say that, uh, you know, you should tell your colleagues at uh, Dartmouth that you came to Harvard and knocked <laughs> no. it out of the park. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>